What's up, Spell Singers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Untap Up, Keep Drink. Today, we are talking about multiplayer politics. Specifically, we're talking about deals, chords, and compromises. Basically, the agreements that you make when playing multiplayer magic. This is probably my favorite part about magic. <laughs> but before we get into that, we need to get in these beers. We have a few special ones. We've got just a bunch of fruit ales today. Uh, we've got a raspberry, a tangerine, and a watermelon. So all across the board here. And Corey, why don't you start us out? Okay, guys, I'm rocking the Hell or High Water Watermelon Wheat Beer. It's Hell or High Watermelon? <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Corey, <laughs> not so good at reading. <laughs> um, it's a wheat beer brewed with watermelons, seasonal release. It's 4.9 ABV and then 17 IBU, so it's a bit on the low side, as you would expect with a fruity beer. It is out of 21st Amendment Brewery, which is in San Leandro, California. It really smells like watermelon. It really just tastes like a wheat beer. Like there's a, there's a lot of fruitiness coming through. They're just trying to trick your nose. Oh yeah, you you definitely smell the watermelon. It's got that aromatics, but not necessarily the full flavor profile. The aftertaste is a little watermelon, but it's kind of like I don't know. It's kinda like, the aroma is just kind of like they took uh, watermelon Jolly Rancher yeah. and just like threw it into a wheat beer because you can still smell the beer on it. Yeah, it smells a lot like watermelon, but it does not taste like watermelon. That's what I'm always afraid of with fruity beers is that it tastes taste or smells more like the artificial version of the fruit than yeah. like a fresh fruit. I think that on taste, like the first thing I tasted was actually watermelon, but then it just turned straight into wheat beer. Yeah. And so there's not really, I didn't, I guess on just first taste, didn't find that middle ground, but the, the smell is definitely watermelon taste wheat yeah, it's a it's a weirder beer it's pretty good for a wheat beer yeah second taste i feel like i got more of the watermelon and the aftertaste definitely has more watermelon than i guess the the full flavor taste of what you'd expect maybe my palate's just shot but i'm not really getting any <laughs> yeah i mean it's really subtle it's definitely a wheat beer with very very subtle notes of like dry watermelon it's not sweet yeah really yeah that's what i was expecting yeah it's got I an like it. color to it as well. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a watermelon beer. Did, haven't you ever had one of the watermelon carts? Well, I guess it's just melon cart, right? It is a melon I cart, yeah. It, it tastes more like honeydew than watermelon. That's true. Yeah. Cantalope. Drew, what you rocking with? So, I've got the Rubius Pure Raspberry Ale from Founders. It's a 5.7% uh, ABV and then 15 IBU. So, again, a very light, bitter beer. I uh, expect more tartness than actual bitterness out of it because it's raspberry. It smells delicious. <laughs> it, just, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Like it's nice, deep red. red. Yeah. Rubius is such red. a cool fucking brewery name, too. <laughs> Rubius Brewing. Rubius is the beer. It's from Founders. Oh! Rubius is, would be a dope name for a brewery, right? though. <laughs> I like it. This just kind of tastes like raspberry. In a good way or a bad way? I mean, is raspberry ever a bad way? True. So on the nose, it's straight up just raspberry first taste raspberry <laughs> kind of the the aftertaste is more of the tartness that you'd expect out of raspberry but overall it's just a nice raspberry beer like i don't really taste any of like the the malty natures of a beer like this it's just very even it's delicious oh, super natural raspberry fruit nose yeah it doesn't have that that blue raspberry you know <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> 
blue raspberry jolly it's just sweet beer. and delicious and mm-hmm. it's almost got like a creamy texture which is kind of weird but that is Ooh, a yeah. delicious beer oh yeah. yeah i really like this one yeah the flavors definitely a natural mouth. raspberry flavor yeah super it's really this one's good. much more sweet yeah a lot. yeah very and sweet I, very tart i do like the lit founders has on the can here drink responsibly they don't serve founders in the clink. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's something I can get through True by. that. And then, Gary, you have a tangerine wheat beer from Lost Coast Brewery. Correct. Says on the can, skip the lemon in your beer. Try tangerine wheat for a new taste sensation. You can enjoy summer all year with our refreshing golden wheat beer infused with the essence of tangerine. Enjoy with family and friends. You'll love this crisp citrus ale, whatever the occasion. Okay, if it's not crisp, I'm going to be upset. We've had this issue before where it said citrus on the can, and it wasn't really as citrusy as I'd hoped. All of course, this is no bite. Yeah, this is a tangerine ale, so I suspect it probably will be. We're sitting 5.5% ABV and 15 IBUs. Let's get in here. It's got kind of like a, a dolly painting oh on it. This one probably has the most fruity scent I mean, that's speaking pretty highly compared to the raspberry there. That thing was all over. And the watermelon as well was yeah. solid as far, as far as the fruit smell was. That's really good. That is, it's uh, got almost like a little bit of bitter rind Ooh, to the snap. taste. <laughs> yeah. But it's super fresh, super citrusy. Uh, I'm not getting a whole lot of beer notes from it. Yeah, it almost tastes flat, which is weird. Kind of, weird yeah. thing to say. But it is, it's very tangerine flavored. I mean, it's coming through really strong. If you'll have seen the video, you'll see both the picture and the the pouring video that Corey had, and definitely tried to get all the head possible out of <laughs> oh, this. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's true. Nice color. The smell yeah, it's is beautiful. very good. Definitely have that like orangey tangerine. Not really any of like the acidic notes to it. Mm-hmm. It's just all of the sweetness that you'd expect. Kind of like more like orange juice than actual yeah, orange. It For smells smell. like orange juice, yeah. but it doesn't doesn't have that little bite like citrus it, it has almost a little bitter rind to it yeah, yeah it really does have bitterness just like comes through the, it's very subtle uh, yeah just the rind or the peel maybe maybe they threw in some tangerine zest in there yeah, just to I'm get sure. those essential oils out or whatever i dig it yeah i mean i think the raspberry one is better but i think that it's all i think that if you want a beer that is infused with fruit then you get the hell or high watermelon i think yeah. that if you just want full punch fruit in the face you grab the raspberry and if you want kind of a mix between the two, you hit the tangerine. I think the raspberry is better, but I think the tangerine is a little more complex flavor profile-wise. Yeah, the raspberry one here just tastes like raspberry. It's yeah. not like... It doesn't taste like beer at all. Yeah, which is I mean, <laughs> totally fine. It's amazing. delicious. <laughs> yeah. When you dig into raspberry, that's really all you want. Agreed. It's the best fruit, so leave it that way. So, today we're talking about deals. We're talking about accords. We're talking compromises. Basically... All of the facets of politics within sort of multiplayer magic play. Yeah, strictly the agreements and like the the table talk of how you uh, interact with other players before the cards are even like a part of it. Yeah, I think this is what separates Commander from any other format because it's meant to be a multiplayer format. Other formats don't really have politics. It's just I got to beat my opponent boom let's go yeah yeah and there are other multiplayer formats that this is going to you know help as well but yeah commander's definitely like the the main format that people are going to think of when they think about politics like you've got like conspiracy uh, arch enemy any of those things where you know it's multiplayer but i think commander 
I guess, Brawl and Tiny Leaders and any of the other, you know, like, <laughs> tiny formats there, pun intended, uh, it's just going to be there. Yeah, this is the most prevalent one. And it's, I think it's just so ingrained in Commander. Magic specifically is built for this because different colors have different strengths. So if you're playing one color and another playing another, another player is playing it with another color, you can get them to help you do something that your deck might not be able to do. Yeah, if you're looking at like, you know, you have a green deck and you're very good at removing enchantments and artifacts and things like that. And you're playing, you know, against a black deck who's better at getting rid of creatures and stuff. But you have a common enemy that you have to answer both of those threats. You have to, you have to work deck. together. Yeah, you have to work <laughs> together in order to answer those threats. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people view it that way, too, is that the first level of politicking is, oh, Drew is now out in front, so the rest of us have to rein it back in, whereas Corey specifically sees it from hand one, turn one, he knows my deck does X, Y, Z, and there are avenues for me to use these other decks on the table for me to maybe make things a little easier for myself without anybody being ahead or any reason other than this might just help me, you know? So let's get into it. Uh, first off, we're going to give the definitions of these things as we go through each of the categories. The first one we're talking about is just the deal. This is like the kind of common idea that everything that you do, any agreement you make, you're trying to make some sort of deal. Um, and not all of them can be fined exactly the same way. So the way we're going to define deal is that a deal is an agreement entered into by two or more parties for their mutual benefit. And I want to emphasize mutual benefit here. Both parties are trying to gain something out of it. Uh, while not trying to completely screw over the other party. Yeah. So, again, the idea here is to try and help each other intentionally using the resources to have all parties benefit equally or at least as equally as possible in the confines of the game. So would you say these are generally the more obvious forms of politics? Yeah, I think that this is like the the generic form. Yeah, this is yeah. kind of the group huggy, like everybody's going to benefit who's making this deal. So we've got some examples that are actually in cards. Um, we've got the Tempting Offer card cycle. Uh, the example here we have is Tempt with Discovery. So Tempting Offer for this specific card reads, search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. Each opponent may search his or her library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. For each opponent who searches their library this way, search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. Then each player who searched a library this way shuffles it. So basically you tempt them to make you know an agreement with you that if I do this, you're also going to benefit more from it. And so with the tempt cards, we've said it in previous episodes, we'll say it time and time again, don't fall for the tempt. Nope. Like, it's better for them just to have that one thing that they do than for each person to fall for the tempt and then that one person to benefit massive from it. I think it's important to use this card specifically because <clears throat> it's literally written out on the card. When you're making deals person to person, sometimes the information is hidden. Yeah, but and most we'll of the time... definitely get into that more. Yeah, most of the time the deal is, you know trying to find a way to benefit yourself more than whoever you're making a deal with, but it is still beneficial to everyone. Right. You get a land, you get a land. I just happen to get three. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're going with that. Yeah. So the next card that we have is Alliance of Arms. It's just a white sorcery. So the join forces. It's, so it's got join forces, like Gary was saying. It reads, starting with you, each player may pay any amount of mana. Each player puts X 1-1 white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield where X is the total amount of mana paid this way. So it's basically, hey, you've got untapped mana, you've got untapped mana, let's all make some dudes. Yeah, and this one is kind of interesting in that you could be the one player out of the four that are there to just not pay anything and you're still going to benefit from it. And so that's where actually making a deal kind of comes into play more. It's just like, hey, everyone 
needs to play play a part of it. I have this card that can give everyone, you know, this thing. And obviously, if you're the one playing it, you're going to have some way to double token or something like that to get more yeah. benefit off of it. But it's just a good example of, hey, if we all pay three, we get 12 tokens. Everyone gets 12 tokens. Everyone benefits the exact same. The third one we've got is Sylvan Offering. Great card. It says X and a green for a sorcery. Choose an opponent. You and that player each create an XX green tree folk creature token. Then you choose an opponent. You and that player each create X one one green elf warrior creature tokens. So you make one big boy and a lot of little dudes and you get to choose who gets which. Yeah, so you can have one opponent that gets a big one and then a different opponent that has uh, the little ones or that one person can just get both. But again, this is kind of that mutual benefit that you have to kind of explicitly state like, hey, I'm giving you this for this reason and then you go from there. Yeah, but you always benefit twice. You're always going to get both from the card. So in essence, it goes along with the idea of trying to, within the rules of your deal, eke out some sort of advantage. Yeah, and so this is part of the offering cycle. Um, And so all of the offering cards of that specific cycle, because there are other cards with offering in their name, but not part of this cycle. And so you choose an opponent and then has an effect and you choose another opponent and has an effect, which can be the same opponent if you want. I was going to say, not another opponent, just an an opponent. opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So in the confines of the game, most agreements that are made will be deals. Deals are kind of like the generic ideal of what a deal is. Yeah. I think when anybody thinks politics, like, hey, let's team up or just anything like that, they think it's just deals. deals. Yeah. Yeah. But they can be more specific. And to follow up with that, we've got accords. So the definition we're going to use here, uh, we actually have two definitions. One is how it's used as a verb, and the other is how it's used as a noun. So as a verb, it's of a concept or fact, which is to be harmonious or consistent with. And then when it's used as a noun, it's an official agreement or treaty, which is to say like an accord, or an agreement or harmony to be in accord with. And so we're really focusing on the noun is to have an official agreement or treaty. And that's the part we're going to emphasize here is that the official part, the part where you are stating what's going on. You are verbalizing all of the information that you want as part of the deal. And so, accord is much more official. Yeah, and accords are generally can be thought of as teaming up for whatever reason. And yeah. sometimes, you like Gary saying, you don't actually have to vocalize that at all. You could just have somebody who's clearly ahead and just like, hey, we all need to team up to, yeah. to take care of that, right? So maybe the game's turned into arch enemy, like I was saying. One player just has a massive advantage over the rest of them, and you need to team up to take down that player or just to bring them back within reason. Like, you don't have to just, hey, we're going to punish this we're player because he got ahead until, yeah, until you're dead, and then we'll play the rest of the game, right? Sometimes you just need to rein them back in a little bit. Um, sometimes it's more simple, right? Just, you don't attack me, and I won't attack you. You're stating what is going on, what the, the deal is, what the accord is, so that you have a verbalization and it's, I guess, to present it not just to them in words, but also to the rest of the table. That's something that you kind of have to think about is that when you are making these accords, these specific types of deals, you are verbalizing it so that everyone can hear and they can try and manipulate the deal. They can try and like mess with it in some way, but everyone is going to hear these. I would say they are more binding because you are putting into words exactly what you want out of it. And that other person is then going to agree to it based on the words that you said. And yep. so you can use those words that you've previously said to hold them accountable, basically. And exactly. if they're not accountable, if they've broken it in some way, then basically you can force repercussions because of that. And you and can like kind of push said, the table on the that as well. The whole table knows it. Yeah. Yep. It's like, hey, we said this. Don't trust him. Don't believe anything he's saying on this game because they've broken it. And if they're trying to make a deal with you, you know that they've already broken one. Like, they're going to do it again. That's a quick way to be arch enemy with no board state. Yeah. <laughs> just fucking lie. Yeah. If, if someone's just like, hey, Drew, we're cool. That's 
completely different than it's like, hey, Drew, don't attack me this turn or the next turn, and I'll do this. Yeah. Right. Like, they're completely different, even though they they might sound exactly the same. I was going to say, a lot of times they could mean the same thing in a game, but they don't have to, because me and you are cool does not bind you to anything. Yeah. Yeah. To say, yeah, I think that's one that our play group, for me, it annoys (laughs) the crap out of me, just because (laughs) that's like the the go-to is, hey, we're cool. And then it's like, hey, I kill your creature, and then I, I do this other thing. It's like, yo. I thought we were cool. We are. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're my cool, definition but of cool, I but have to blow up your Mirari's wake. Like, then, I just have to. Like, yeah. <laughs> to, to be cool with someone is, is different from like, don't touch any of my brain. Right. It's like, you're not allowed exactly, to blow Exactly. Like, yeah. so, so I think that's the takeaway is right. that when you're talking, the difference between a deal and an accord is that a deal a lot of times is more subtle and a lot of times is more vague. Whereas an accord is literally stating the official terms of what will and will not happen. Right. So, and then you can't break with that. an accord. I've got here is that you are setting the terms and agreeing to work together for a common goal. Yeah. And generally, you know, you've got like your alliances and non-aggression packs. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I think the, the general gist of what people use accords for in uh, magic specifically. Uh, and then core, you found a good cycle of cards that you remembered from battle bond. You've got the friend or foe cycle. Yeah. So the one that I like the most is peers whim. It's three and a green for sorcery for each player. Choose friend or foe. Each friend searches their library for a land card, puts it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffles their library. Each foe sacrifices an artifact or enchantment they control. So this very clearly defines like what is going on. You know, it as you are my friend, I am stating this, this is going to have impacts outside of just this card, right? It's saying, yo, we're cool, as as we always say, I'm helping you. Whereas yeah. the foe is just, yo, we're not cool. And again, that's kind of a, a variation of an accord. You're not necessarily working for a common goal. It's just, hey, you and I are not on the same page. We're not working together. I'm going to mess with you as much as I can. Yeah, and you can sort of tilt this in your favor a lot too. It's like, are you my friend or are you my foe? And then it's you're talking to the entire table when you do this, so everybody knows everything. You're letting them offer up their opinions and information. Yeah, and then you can use this as kind of a, a focal point of just, hey, if you're my friend, I'm going to help you, but then you, I, you owe me one, basically. Exactly, yeah. So the last one we have here as far as the agreements that we're talking about is the compromise. So to define compromise, we have it as a noun, which is an agreement or settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. So essentially it's a, yeah, it's a middle state between conflicting opinions or actions reached by, this is the important part, mutual concession or modification. Uh, And then you have it as a verb, which actually has, I think, the most important part of it, which is to settle a dispute by mutual concession, which is to accept standards that are lower than is desirable. And that exactly. really, really is the important yeah. part is that you have to accept standards that are lower than desirable. You don't always, but you rarely ever get exactly what you want. People in general should learn that, but especially us magic folks. Yeah, we always have these kind of ideas <laughs> of what we want and we're rarely ever, you know, it's not like talking about like making deals with somebody and like saying have like a non-aggression pack because like, don't attack me. And Corey was talking about how don't attack me for this turn or the next turn. And that's, you know, like, if you if you was a perfect world, it would be don't attack me means don't attack me for the rest of the yeah. game, <laughs> which is just unreasonable and it's not going to happen because as soon as you know, even if you're not the last two players, sometimes they're going to have to have an action against you. And just well, now I get to lose the game because I made this one. Yeah, but you know, I'll deal. sit here and pass the turn. And so even the smallest deals that you make that are simple are sometimes just compromises that you have to make because it is a game where everyone is trying to win. Right? Sometimes it's better to make sacrifices to get the little amount that you want than it is to you know, go too far. Yeah, because really we're only entering into deals and accords to try and gain an advantage in the game that you couldn't without with just your cards. And so if it's not 
advantageous for everybody. There's no real reason for them to join into that deal with you. Yeah. And so as, as Gary's kind of saying here is that it needs to be advantageous for both parties or all parties that are part of your deal. And sometimes that advantage is less than what the other player is going to get. And you have to you know, have that compromise where you're not gaining as much, but you're still going to gain something out of it. Yeah, I think the easiest example for this is just a board wipe and just classic Wrath of God. I'm going to kill everybody's creature, but most importantly, I'm going to kill the threats. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have to kill all your good stuff, all your your commanders and all that stuff. I got to kill my stuff too, but we're taking care of the threat. We all have to suffer. Yeah, and so a compromise on that would just be like, say I'm playing you know, like a blue control deck or something like that, and Gorge is like, hey, I need to be able to destroy everything, including your stuff. Can you not counter? And my compromise is that I also know that that threat needs to be answered. I'm playing mono blue, maybe I don't have you know a specific answer. So it's just like, yes, I'll, I'll let you wrap the board. I'm not going to counter your stuff. I'm going to let it happen so that we can get rid of the threat that is a, a bigger threat to all of us. And I'm still losing, but yeah. I'm going to be gaining more by letting him do that and destroy everything than it is for me just to you know protect my one creature that one time. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to the idea if your game goes sort of into arch enemy status, it's like, we can't do this unless everything goes and everybody gets reset back to the this original plain old battlefield. So those three categories are going to be the main things that we focus on for the end of this episode. Deals, accords, and compromises. But before we get into a little more detail, we've kind of discussed what they are. Now we're going to kind of get into how they happen in magic and, and ways to sort of manipulate them in your favor without being... <laughs> A shitty person, <laughs> uh, but we've been sipping on some beers first, so let's uh, let's dip back into them. So I was drinking the Heller High Watermelon. One. Say was as in it's empty. It's already gone. I'm working on it. Uh, I was like, oh, Get I know there. Corey's very very quick at drinking beers, but the watermelon is definitely grown on me, and like it's definitely coming out. The longer it's been sitting, does on it my feel palate. more pronounced, or did you? Feel yeah, like it definitely just... does. It's still not as sweet or as fruity as I wanted to, but I can definitely taste the watermelon. The smell just... Yeah, it's just 10 out of 10 watermelon. Yeah. Smell. <laughs> it's kind of weird because it does have that kind of like fake watermelon smell, but also there, it has both the yeah. real watermelon and like the Jolly Rancher style watermelon. Yeah, it does actually taste more watermelon because like I could taste it before, but it's definitely more pronounced than it was. But the back end doesn't taste like watermelon anymore. The back end is just a wheat beer, which I think that's kind of what I want out of a beer like that is to have the fruit kind of up front. And then it just melts out into a beer or like yeah, vice versa, maybe. It's just refreshing at the beginning and then just flows into exactly what you think about it. Yeah, that that one comes off as a little dry, but I, I kind of like that. Though. I, yeah, I taste the watermelon. I taste the wheat. Just a little more sweetness maybe would push it into my, yeah, my, my tops. Fruit. How's the raspberry? God. See you sipping it over there, taking it easy. Yeah, I mean, it's delicious. It's true self-control is top notch because drinking that raspberry out of it fucking done 20 minutes ago oh yeah yeah it's it's just delicious it's just a raspberry beer it doesn't really have like a lot of the like maltier notes or any of the like hoppy notes out of an ale that you might normally come across it's just i mean they say that it's a pure raspberry ale like i would not be surprised if they just skipped the normal brewing process and said we're making a beer just out of raspberry it is so good that's creamy it's sweet and it's 100% raspberry. Yeah, if if you ever hear raspberry ale, I think this is exactly what you'd picture. Like, yeah. this is the 
keynote. So I, while I was looking this one up, I found in Google, as I was typing in Roubaix is from Founders, is that there's Nitro version of this. Which oh, shit. I am so keen to try. Mm. This would be so good on Nitro. I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic as it is, but just to add that kind just of... Imagine like, it's even smoother. Yeah, than it's, it's, it's already delicious. Smooth as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Drew said it earlier, but if mine's more of a beer... And Drew's is less of a beer. Garing's is right in the middle where it's got all the fruitiness and the sweetness and the tartness, but it also has all the beer flavor. Yeah, yeah so I'm drinking the Lost Coast Brewery Tangerine Wheat Beer. Still dry. Still uh, a little rindy. Still beer. Very much a beer. It's, it's still a really good wheat beer, I think. Pith. That's the word I was thinking. Pith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the white, not even the outer. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It, just a little bitter, which... You know, if you're making fruit pie or something like that, you don't want. But I think in a beer, it fits perfectly. Because that, that bitter in your beer? I mean, that bitter is perfectly fine. I want, I want that pith in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love these jokes. <laughs> and also, I enjoy this beer. This is like, smell right up front is your tangerine. The flavor has just a nice wee. It's like, I guess if you took a Belgian white and then you put the... the required amount of orange in it to to bring it to like that full fruity flavor rather than just you know the little bit to add a, a, add a little flavor to it then that's what this is you really just kind of amped it up it's got a nice wheat flavor it's got a wonderful kind of citrusy but not like a acidic citrusy it's the sweet side of it and then it does have kind of like the the pith or maybe even just like a swath of of rind on there just to get those oils in there and just add that extra flavor yeah i think a lot of citrusy beers are really heavily dependent on lime or lemon while i think orange beers i think they're harder to do they're a lot harder to do i've had a lot of shitty orange beers but this one is really good it's really good i think it's just different i think what really brings it out is that bitter because it brings it more towards a beer and less towards a dessert drink it also just adds like real fruit flavor to it whereas like exactly even leaving lemon beers it kind of just tastes like they just threw lemonade into it you know like over sugared yeah yeah i think like you could just put orange juice in a beer and it would probably be delicious but this actually tastes like just biting into an orange like little with the peel yeah with the for better for worse (laughs) i also like that the color almost perfectly matches the can yeah that's just an added bonus Let's try and rein it in here a little bit, guys. Let's jump into our second part of our episode here, where we talk about actual examples of agreements in Magic, how we use these specific ones, and what they actually look like. So, as mentioned before, most of the agreements made in Magic are going to be more along the deals side. Less specific, a little more vague, uh, and a little more wiggle room, which I think people do intentionally, uh, which is why maybe, you know, if you're going to be a politic guy like Corey, being more specific can sometimes help you. But a lot of what happens is the subtle, vague uh, nomenclature of a deal. Yeah, there's a lot of nonverbal agreements that are made that it's just kind of someone gets ahead or, you know, someone's behind. I think that that's another thing that our group does. I don't know if we do it well or we do it poorly because <laughs> if somebody's, you know, behind on board for whatever reason, we kind of just leave them alone. Yeah. And sometimes it works out just fine where they, you know, get back in the game eventually. And sometimes it works out where they just get ahead out of nowhere because three people are just duking it out. And then that last guy's like, I'm still at 40 life. I'm do whatever I want. I'm on top. Yeah. <laughs> I got six free turns. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of break down deals into three main parts and kind of talk about the, the specifics therein. So the first part to focus on is what generally appears to be most important, but is actually often the least of what is important about it. And that is what is the purpose of the deal? Um, 
And so those are just like, don't attack me. Uh, or if we do this, I need you to attack a, a specific player for whatever reason. Uh, block or don't block a certain creature. Don't counter my spell is one that you know we have often. Yeah. Or let my creature or commander live. I think that's one that we talk about more often because especially in EDH where we're building around a certain commander, we want that commander to be there because everything in our deck is, is based around it. I use that one a lot just because, especially with my Daxos deck, everyone knows that it can get out of control very quickly. And so the first uh, experience counter that you get with him is the most important one. So it's just like, just let me live until I get that first one. After that, I can actually play the game. And as soon as he's removed the first time, it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm sitting probably two turns out just to make sure that I can, you know, get back there and then finally establish a board presence. And then, you know, three turns later, I'm finally in the game again. But just like, please just let it live. Let me at least get to play the game. Yeah, after I've played against Daxus a lot, and one thing I've learned is that no matter what you do, if you make a deal with Drew, he will never sacrifice Daxos. <laughs> like you could attack him all you want. You can hurt his land base. You can blow up everything he ever puts out, but he will never let go of Daxos. <laughs> it's it's what the entire deck is based on. I literally did my best on that deck to put no creatures in, and the, the few creatures that are in are all enchantment creatures from yeah. Theros. And so, like... You attack, I'm not blocking with it unless yeah, I have the instructability. Never block. And it just, like, attack my life total, that's fine, life total's a resource, but I need this thing to stay <laughs> in the game so that I can stay in the game. So another thing that is really, really important is how the deal is made. Generally, if people know me, which, I mean, our play group has, I think, kind of figured it out, is that I, I leave in loopholes for myself as yes, much as possible. Yes, he does. Well, and, in Commander especially, there are there is a lot of hidden information oh absolutely and so you should absolutely use that to your advantage knowing what's in your deck what's in your hand nobody else has that information yet yeah and we will touch on that a bit more as well i have a section down here that i i call winning deals uh which basically is just like how do you get the most out of how do you like actually be the one to benefit yeah, yeah every single time uh and you never will come out on top every single yep. time like you can try uh and that's good that you are making that attempt but sometimes you know the specifics therein are a little difficult to wash out so for me we're talking about loopholes uh are they exploitable by your counterpart right like do they see what's going on will they take advantage of the loopholes that you're leaving it? don't attack me doesn't mean don't blow up my creatures you know right. and like you could you know uh, agree that we're not going to attack each other and then go and destroy their soul ring and you know the rest of their mana yeah, base like, and we're like, cool but I have to get rid of your soul ring. Like, I can't let you have it. I think this specific point is part of the reason why I don't engage in outward politicking nearly as much as anybody else. Yeah, you definitely to are me, the person who... It seems like you avoid it. I don't know if you necessarily do, but you stray away from it more than anyone else. Yeah, I'm yeah. not... I don't want to say that you say... Or that you are not open to it, but a lot of times you just say no and then just do it. Which, in and of itself... <laughs> Is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Right. To, that's to true. Because, like, sometimes it's like, oh, I, I've got this deal I want to And it's like, uh, I've got a different deal. We can try and work on that. And it's like, we always try and end up with a deal, you know, whether it's a compromise or, you know, an, a, an accord or just like, you know, a, a good deal between the two of us. You're the person who, more often than not, I think, says, no, I'm not making any deal with you because I know you're going to try and fuck me over with it. Well, and also just knowing that a lot of times when people are to the point where they're offering a deal, they're already planning to go that route anyway. That's their best option. And so you denying them that, it can actually eke you out an advantage as well. But a lot of times I think the reason that I stray away from it personally, at least initiating deals, is because we play in a very tight play group. And so for me, it feels like, you know, I know what's in the decks that are coming out. And so a lot of times, 
yeah, I know that you can get around this, this, or this. You know what I mean? Like you kind of start to f- start to feel it out. So I think it's important to note that just because you can politic does not necessarily mean that you always should. Yeah, absolutely. It's I think definitely that, a, a light touch goes a long way. Yeah, I think that and this is one of the points that I really want to drive home later on here is that you can't over-politic. And mm-hmm. I think 100%. that you also can under-politic. And you're not a person who doesn't politic at all. It's right. just you have a very serious limit on on what you'll, you'll allow even just within a night let alone one game right uh, i just want to bring up an example and Corey keeps on giving me the fucking stink eye over here it's fucked up salty it's, as fuck. <laughs> it's it's not fucked up it's totally reasonable so <laughs> i played ta- myself yeah we've, 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 we've talked about yeah, it before we've had right? this example before um but what happened is Corey and i made a deal i was playing my nekosar deck and i had whirlpool warrior out which is two and a blue for a merfolk warrior that's a two two when it enters the battlefield, shuffle the cards from your hand into your library, then draw that many cards. So that's a wheel for myself. Then it's got an activated ability, red, and sacrifice it. Each player shuffles the cards from his or her hand into his or her library, then draws that many cards. So when it enters the battlefield, I wheel. When I sacrifice it, everybody wheels. So Cora and I had a deal that I wouldn't wheel, and the specific terms that I made is, is okay, I will not wheel until your next turn. And so we played Very around. Very specific nomenclature I, there. I used the words exactly as I meant them. Yep. Because I knew that as soon as I had the opportunity, I was going to. I needed to wheel because the cards in my hand weren't going to answer any threats, and I needed to get cards out of other people's hands. Uh, Sean had a specific threat that we knew about, and so I just needed to make sure that I wheeled as soon as possible. And so that was going to be the soonest opportunity that I could getting through Corey's turn. So he had his his turn, and then it got back around to me. I had my turn, Sean, and then I think Terrence was in that game. And then as soon as he got, got back to Corey, uh, he had used Eladomri's call. Right. Yep. On the end, end step before. Right. So Eldarmy's call. It's Eldarmy's call is a two and a white for an instant. Search your library for a creature card. Reveal a card. Put it into your hand and shelf your library. So he gets that on the end step. As soon as it's his upkeep. As soon as I have priority, I immediately sacrifice Whirlpool Warrior. Everybody wheels. So the card that Corey just tutored for went straight back in his deck. He yep. wasted a card. He wasted a turn doing all of that. And because. You both knew the nomenclature of that deal. Corey could have known that that was coming, but because you didn't specifically say "I will wheel" on your next turn, it wasn't <laughs> well, it, necessarily it wasn't apparent just that it like me not wheeling until his next turn basically uh, insinuates that I'm going to wheel on my turn, right? Right, or at his end step, trying yeah. to make it so that I leave as much time available before I need to wheel, right? But for me, it was I need to wheel as soon as possible, and so that was the action that I needed. And as soon as he used Eladomir's call to tutor, I was like, I need to will immediately. Right. Right. Because he just is looking for a threat, looking for an answer. And it could be an answer against me. It most likely is against me because we had, uh, I guess, some difficulties in that game between two of us. I remember what was going on. I think I just wheeled a couple times that took stuff out of your hand. Yeah. I think I was playing Gattic and I think I nice. uh, Eladomir called for Shalai, Voice of Plenty. So I was going to try and set up my board state and just lock everybody out, give everything hexproof, and just keep going. And then I couldn't do any of that. But and I was super mad, but I was like, damn it, Drew. Exactly. You did break the, the deal. deal but that, that's something, I, this is not yeah. what I planned. So for me personally, the reason why how a deal is made is very important because I will always try and be a man of my word. doesn't matter whether it's magic or anything else. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow it to the letter as much as I possibly can. There are circumstances specifically around magic where I'm going to do the minimum that is required and there's times where I'm going to do you know the maximum, trying to make sure that the deal is upheld regardless of what's going on and that you can always say, okay, if I make a deal with him, he's always going to hold true to that. 
to the letter. No more sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes I'll go the extra mile. But on that, it's it's the reason why I think that when you make a deal, when you make you know have a, an accord or something like that, you're very specific about what you say. The last and often what is the most important thing to focus on is why the deal is made. Gary keeps on harping on this idea that yeah. if you don't need to make a deal, if you don't need to have this table talk and kind of waste time and everyone's you know energy trying to figure out what kind of deal needs to be made, whether or not it's even necessary, should be thought of first. Yeah, the way that Corey is perceived in our playgroup is as a political type of player. 100%. And so when Corey starts to make a deal or insinuate terms or things like that, immediately the alarm is set. What is Corey trying to do? What is what, his end game? What trickery I'm is he doing? trying to win, boys. Right, and that should always be sort of forefront of everybody's mind. But when that sort of thing is going on, I think, especially for me, I go, how do I specifically make sure that Corey is not fucking me right now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That- you th- your, your senses are alerted to that a little more than if you're more subtle or if you do it less often. And so you either need to be really skilled like Corey is, or you just need to make sure that you know why you are doing what you're doing. It's definitely really hard to figure this stuff out but i think one of the most important things to do and one thing that i'm really good at is just board assessment yeah and just like gary was saying if you if you look at somebody's commander then you kind of get the gist of what they're trying to do so you can sort of just like hey you're playing daxos you like enchantments i'm not gonna try and blow up your enchantments like i'm gonna steer clear from that on the reverse it's be like enchantments are really important to you so hey gary if we blow up Drew's enchantments, he'll, he can't play this game. Yeah, he'll, his deck will be a lot worse. And so you just sort of trying to figure out what everybody's doing. Yeah. And it's it's really, really difficult. But that's, I just love that part of magic. <laughs> so, talking about why the deal is made and the importance of that. So, we've got just some specific examples, of course. So, is the deal made because we're trying to answer a specific threat? Um, or perhaps we're trying to prevent someone from attacking or putting us in a disadvantageous or weak position? Is that the reason why we're making the deal? Are we trying to prevent someone from responding negatively to our actions? That's like the, hey, will you please not counter this? I'm trying to do this. Yeah. Uh, are we trying to set up a specific play or sequence of actions? Which is kind of what we're talking about when Fair. we're talking about Corey's deals. You know? Yeah. yeah um, I'm tutoring for Shalai so I can play Shalai and lock the board down. Yeah. Um, or perhaps are we just trying to make allies or neutralize enemies? These are kind of the ones that may not see an end game and kind of the ones that... Co- that and kind of the ones that Garyan kind of steers away from is just if there's not really a strong point to it, is there any reason to actually go through with it. So let's just jump into Accords real quick. So as mentioned before, this is when you're teaming up with another player or players for whatever reason. Usually you're teaming up to get rid of a mutual threat, um, but this could just be to answer a powerhouse or a card that's very hard to answer, right? The the biggest example, I think, from our playgroup that every single time it hits the board, everyone, like, there's an audible groan and everyone's just like, well, that shit needs to die yep. now, right? And that's Vorinclex, Voice of Hunger. I have a love-hate relationship with that bastard because... I don't like the play style. I don't like what it does to people, but he's a Praetor and I'm a Phyrexian kind of guy. <laughs> so Vorinclex Voice of Hunger is six green green for a seven, six trampler. He is a Praetor, as Gary said, legendary creature. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana of your mana pool of any type that land produces. So Beautiful. It's mana doubler, fantastic when it's on your side. And when it's not on your side, it says, whenever an opponent taps a land for mana, that land doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So it's the first half would be mana. fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. The first. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be super but good. <laughs> it's massive mana denial. You have to plan out your turns if you're playing against this. And so usually that hits the, the board and just like, hey, I know this shit's not going to untap, but 
You've got Path to Exile? Okay, good. Vornklex is gone. Do it now, please, so I can actually play the game. No, you're not going to do it. You're going to wait for my turn. Okay, that's usually how it goes, yeah. Yep. Let somebody else, you answer it as late as you possibly can so that everyone else on tap or yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and usually if somebody else is playing boring because you're like, hey guys, hey guys, look at this. I am taking one for the team. I'm going right. to be down a turn yeah. to get rid of this shit. The other thing is to, to answer cards that are hard to answer. And this isn't necessarily the cards themselves, but equipment is kind of the go-to in Commander. We've got Lightning Greaves and Swiftfoot Boots, which gives Shroud and uh, Haste or Hexproof and Haste, respectively, and... You, you can't answer that without a board wipe. You have to be able to to do something. So sometimes it's, I can take care of the artifact. I can get rid of the equipment. Can you kill the creature afterwards? Yeah. I'm going to spend my resources. I need you to spend your resources together. Team effort. Let's get rid of this threat. Um, <laughs> but if you want to be a bad guy, we can talk about combo pieces and specific win cons that people are trying to answer. And again, you have to answer multiple threats often with these. Aetherflux Reservoir, you know that that's going to come out. You know, you have to make some sort of deal to say, okay, we need to work together to get rid of this threat. He's going to storm off. He needs, he's got Joyra and Aetherflux. I can get rid of Aetherflux. Can you get rid of Joyra? Vice versa. Just we have to make these answers happen soon, now. Yeah. you don't know when they're going to storm off. There's certain cards, especially these combo pieces and stuff like Vorinclex, that as soon as they go on the table, it's a red flag for everybody. It's like, hey, hey, look at this. We need to team up yeah. and pull all our resources, make an accord, and get rid of this yeah. shit. And so, specifically, you are vocalizing that this is a problem. Yeah, right. And this just, is how this person is going to win. We cannot let this happen. Yeah. So, these are just good examples of, of things that you have to be able to answer. Um, sometimes, it's your opponent that you have to be able to deal with. Sometimes, they're just too far ahead. That could be because they have a, a massive life advantage, right? They could just be ahead in that game. Uh, they could be ahead in the game where they've just cyclonic rift, right? Return all non-land permanents throw on his hands that aren't yours, right? And so if they've done that, they have a full board, everyone else just got screwed over. Everyone basically says, okay, they've done this, they're trying to win or they're doing everything they can just to not lose right now. We need to work together to answer that because we are all back to square one. We have to play slow cards, get them out, then eke an advantage out slowly over time. They already have that advantage now. We need to answer this now. Yeah, if, if we're all a couple turns behind because they just Cyclonic Grifted, then us teaming together sort of balances out to hopefully get rid of who's ever just cyclonic rifted because they're probably either going to win soon or they're just so far ahead that they'll just pull it out anyways so as we gear towards you know learning how to end your deals because being vague about deals makes it very hard to realize when your deal is up as we get there we're going to be talking about compromises and i think it's important to note that like we said before compromises will happen and should happen in all deals and accords. Yeah, every player is trying to win the game. Yeah, just what? End of story. If you're playing a game, you're probably tr- trying to win, and if you're not, I don't know why you're playing the game. Yep. So, when we're making deals, we've said it before: you're not going to get the best outcome. But you need to realize that going into it, you should not be aiming for everything benefits me and nothing benefits anybody else. Yeah. So with these compromises, sometimes it's better to let your opponent gain more than you out of a deal than it is to just have neither of you benefit at all right yeah if you're going to lose and this is your you got to shoot your shot to try and stay in the game then you got to shoot your shot remember that all of the deals that we're talking about you're going to benefit in some ways and sometimes that benefit is you don't die yeah i made a lot of those deals (laughs) has to happen yeah Corey's very good at that i won't kill you if such and such happens which is great like enemy of my enemy is my friend let me point them as a weapon at someone else exactly. so that they don't you know so that i don't kill them so we talked about it a little bit earlier but i think 
board wipes are one of the biggest cards that people think of when they think compromises because you blow up everything. So I blow up my shit, you blow up your shit, but we also get rid of the shit that's going to kill us. So I think one card in particular that's really good about this is Decimate. So it's not like a board wipe specific, but it does have, it's a multi-threat removal card. Yeah. So Decimate is two red-green for sorcery, destroy target artifact, target creature, target enchantment, and target land. So you have to have targets for all of these to go. And so being the enchantment player, oftentimes it's my enchantment that's going to get blown up. Yep. Just because sometimes it's the only one that's out there. And if you have to have all four targets and you understand, I mean, regardless if you understand or not, that there's a threat that needs to be removed, it has to happen. And so it's basically just like, hey, I'm sorry, but if I'm going to answer this, this is the way I need to do it. And the compromise is either it doesn't happen or, okay, I will let you do that because it's the only way to answer that right now. Yeah, maybe Garion's the threat. But Drew's the only one with an enchantment, so it's like, I can kill Garion's soul ring and his commander. And blow up one of his lands. And blow up one of his lands, because I hate the man. Damn. But Drew, I have to blow up your enchantment. Like I have to have a target. Yeah, so you have to compromise. I think as we move towards how you win a deal, you need to have in your mind that the idea of winning a deal has to first come with a deal being made. And so you have to make these compromises because if I say, Drew, uh, don't attack me for the next two turns. Okay, I'm moving on. He's not going to take that deal because there is no benefit for him. So I have to make the compromise of sacrificing something of my own, some sort of action in order to even have a deal on the table. Yeah, you have to be able to demonstrate the logic of what you're doing. And generally, you're going to do that before you try and do it. It's not like, you know, you're midway through casting this, but I'm like, oh, by the way, this is a deal that we're going to make, and yeah. you don't have a choice because it's the deal that we're going to make, and it's going to make everything better, I promise, but you don't see that. Okay, who cares? But that's the deal. Yeah, a really good example that I have is another time when Sean was playing is Yidgis deck. I can't remember who the other players were, but the only way we could get rid of something is if Sean attacked me with Yidris and then wheeled off of his um, Cascade trigger. And I had a great hand. I didn't want to do that. But I didn't have any way to answer any of the threats on board. So I was like, okay, I'll, t- I'll take five commander damage five commander, and yeah. scrap my hand. And I had to compromise. And it was the only way to stay in the game because we're all going down real fast. Yeah. So what I like to kind of frame compromises with is the, if you do this, I won't do this. Or if you don't do this, I will do this. Or just sometimes if you don't do this, then I won't do that. Yeah. So it's just kind of plug in your examples in as you as you see fit on that. But the the one combination of those words you didn't mention was if you do this, I will do this, which is not necessarily a deal as much as it's a threat, but it is still part of the deals and accords. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think especially if you do this, I'll do known. this is you know <laughs> I think less of a as a compromise. I think is more of just a general deal. It's just yeah. hey, if you do this, which is a thing that I want that you want, then I'll do this, which is a thing that I want that you want. And this, this sort of goes into the idea of winning deals that we've just been talking about. Yeah, so I put winning in quotes here because you don't, you don't win deals. This isn't poker here. Uh, but you can definitely get the, the larger end of the stick here. You don't get the short end. Uh, and so I just have a bunch of, a bunch of ways to, to win deals here. Um, the first one is to ask for more than you'll give, right? Put them into that compromising position rather than putting yourself into it. Uh, you're trying to do as much as you can to make sure that you benefit the most every single time. Yeah, I think a really good way to do this, just off the top of my head, is if there's a threat on board, say, hey, can somebody get rid of this? You you might have the answer in your hand, but you don't want to <laughs> yeah. play that until it's directly affecting you. But and if you get somebody to else yeah. to 
to play their spell. Um, another one is to find a better offer at the table. If Corey is saying, hey, you and I should work together to do that, it's like, well, can anybody else help me make, you know, do something better? Like maybe he's, you know, not offering to blow up my soaring. Well, can somebody else just kill Corey and then we'll work together to deal with that other player? Uh, you know, sometimes people are willing. And it's like, oh, they're doing something. I better act now. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to interact with this deal at all. Yeah. Sometimes people are just ready to jump in. Um, speaking of the poker lines here, uh, sometimes you need to up the ante. You need to raise the stakes of what's going on to make people more inclined to do what you want them to do. Right. Sometimes it's not just blow up their soul ring. It's I'm going to board wipe so that you have, I don't know, Teferi's Protection or something like that. I know you've got that in your deck. If you've got that, we can combo together and then you can swing it and kill them. Which kind of leads into the next part where you say lowball what you're willing to give. Yeah, just like <laughs> ask for more than you'll give and lowball what you're willing to give, right? Like I will, you know, and we keep using just a single target removal example, but just like maybe you do have multiple, you know, maybe you've got Path Decks out and Swords of Plowshare. It's just like, I, I can only get rid of this this one creature. It's like, that's, that's all I, I can do. Oh, right yeah, I, I drew swords. Yeah, it's like- <laughs> On my turn. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? Is that like- <laughs> They don't know what's in your hand. So playing that down, just like, I can draw an answer. Hopefully I can draw an answer. You already have the answer in your hand. They don't know that. They don't need to know that. But it's like, if I draw an answer, if you help me in this situation, then if I draw an answer, I will respond in the right way. So trying to get to the end of this episode here. We've been a little long. Uh, we got to figure out how to end this episode and end our agreements. Why do you always try and do this? <laughs> but yeah, we do need to talk about ending agreements. So first question I have is, should should agreements and you know, truces, packs, whatever you want to call them, should they be ended officially? Should there be, okay, we've no longer got this threat or it's been two turns, therefore I'm going to act. Like, does that need to be said? Or can they just be surreptitiously or secretively ended, right? Can they be done so without notice, maybe without talking? Like, obviously, if you say, hey, I'm not going to attack you next turn, I feel like that is, you know, it's already built into yeah, it. It's, it's there. A, a specific but ending. does that need to be vocalized still? I think for me, generally, it's implied we're cool until we're not cool. <laughs> so, but you're the one generally who decides. When yeah, you're not, so, right. not that. So, other which is why those deals are spooky. Which is it goes back into the once we enter the threat, then the deal is off. Not that we're not cool. It's just we're just neutral. Right. If you start coming out super hot with a bunch of threats, then we're not cool. Right. And so, so, I you guess you are now that this brings up the the next question here. I, the last question that I have for this is just how do we go about ending an agreement without making an enemy there right? it's like the, the are we cool and then all of a sudden you attack somebody seems like a really good way to make an enemy yeah i think this is a very fine line especially with people that you might not know as well where if you make an agreement and immediately break it or just just go against everything you said and you just not necessarily lie right to their face but just go against what you said that's just an easy way to not only make an enemy at the table but also hurt somebody's feelings and mm-hmm. make them just hate you. In real life. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's just not good just table manners. But this is where everything sort of circles back to the beginning of the discussion of the gray areas that you put in. Because yeah. if you're very specific about you, what you will and will not do, breaking it is harder and less cool. Yeah. I because think- you can't put this, this, and this, and then do all those things <laughs> yeah. and expect someone to be like, yeah, he's a good guy. I like that guy. Yeah. Uh, that's just straight up fucking lying, right? If you say the vaguest, like, we're cool, bro, right? We're cool. We got a turn. We got a couple turns. We're cool. Yeah. And then you win the game. You're not saying, dude, I didn't screw on you. I won the game. Like, everybody had to lose yeah. for me to win. Okay, so talking about breaking agreements, breaking deals here, if it should be done 
which I think we kind of all agree on the negative here. Should it be commonplace? Is it something that you you do? Is that do you just break deals? I don't think you should break deals. That's a very very fast way to lose friends and to be kicked out of play group and stop <laughs> yeah, playing magic. Altogether. Exactly. Yeah. But I think sort of how we said, if you can win the game, I think that's the only okay scenario. Make deals. Don't break deals. Enjoy playing magic. That's what we're all here to do. It's a game. Definitely learn from it and use that in your gameplay, but don't use any of that shit outside in your real life. Like, just because Corey's kind of shifty and shady in the game doesn't mean he's going to fuck you over as a person. He's a nice guy, one of the best friends you'll have. He'll buy you a beer. 100%. 100%. I'm not trying to turn you against each other. Yeah. Except in the game. Except in magic. (laughs) So go out there, play magic, have fun, enjoy your play group. I think hopefully this will make you a better magic player as well as a a better friend and hopefully can nurture your play group to being fun and competitive. Yeah, I've said it so many times on this episode, but I'll say it again and again. Communication is key. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to talk. Maybe your play group doesn't use politics as much. If you're the first person to bring that into your group, you're kind of going to be scary you're going to be this this threat that came out of nowhere so talk with your play group make sure that they understand where you're coming from what's going on and encourage it if it's something that your play group is interested in and if not then i'm not saying just don't do it but try to keep it to a, a minimum play with other people see, see how it goes but communicate always be talking you don't want any of this to ruin friendships to to ruin play groups or whatever we just want you to have fun yeah, it's really hard to just listen to somebody or see something and be like, oh, that's how I politic. You have to just do it naturally and yeah. see what you like to do, what you don't like to do. And just, it's it's all up to you and how you want to play Magic. And speaking of things we don't want you to do, don't drink and drive. Yeah. Don't drink if you're underage. We want you to be safe out there. We want you to have fun. That's something that we legitimately do want you to do. We'll say it over and <laughs> over again as well. That's what we're all here but, for. Yeah, we, we love this game. It's an incredible game. We also love having incredible drinks, but we want you to be safe. We want you to be responsible. We don't want you to get in trouble. And because we've told a couple really uh, good stories, we always kind of have a call to action at the end of the episode. We definitely want to hear you guys' good politics stories, especially if you were able to get a real good deal while also not being shady or shifty. Like, Or just if you pulled the wool over someone's eyes and yeah. they just had no idea until like you explained it to them later. Like, You're the puppet master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit us up. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh UUD podcast or untap up keep drink and if you're not watching these episodes on YouTube definitely go check it out on YouTube as well we got all the card images up sometimes we (laughs) tend to gloss over some cards we don't read the whole thing you can get all the information there and maybe find your new pet card to start politicking yeah all the weird cards we were talking about (laughs) yeah and if you're on Instagram check out Drew's Brews I don't really like plugging my own thing it just feels weird but we do have good reviews Garyan has done one now Corey has one in the works Uh, just Showing the beers that we can't drink on the show. There's so much out there, so many good beers. So it's nice to to showcase those that we can't just talk about on the show. Yeah, and so I think our beer of the show is going to go to Drew's beer, the Rubeus Pure Raspberry Ale. Yeah, if we're going to recommend a beer from this episode, that's definitely going to be the one. Like, all of them are recommendable, but... Yeah, they're all really good. We try and get really good beers, but I think this one is above and beyond. Yeah, they all have very distinct things that they have going for them. If you want a beer that is both, you know, weedy and has the fruit, you've got the tangerine one. If you want just 100% fruit, you've got the raspberry. And if you want just more of, like, the beer flavor and just a hint of fruit, we've got the watermelon beer. So thank you guys for checking out the channel. Thank you for engaging with us. And uh, thanks for watching the episode. We're glad we got to talk about politics. We want to... Corey's favorite things. 
As always, guys, have fun, but not too much.